You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Do you feel alone? God hasn't spoken to you in a while. And maybe you feel abandoned as well. And you're wondering to yourself, you know, what's going on here? Why isn't God speaking to me? Well, if that is the case, well, then this study is for you. Because notice, let's go back to verse 1. We are told, then God remembered Noah. When God flooded the earth, he showed mercy on Noah and protected him from the destruction. Yet Noah and his family remained in the ark for an entire year before the land was dry. Today, Pastor Mike reminds us that, like Noah, we all face seasons of waiting in life. These seasons can be extremely difficult as we are unable to change our situation and must rely completely on God to bring us through. But the good news is that God remembered Noah, and he remembers all of his children. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 8, as he begins his message, God Remembers. Grab your Bibles, and we'll pick up where we left off last time, and that would be in Genesis chapter 8, and the text that we're going to be treating is found in verses 1 through 19. So Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 19, and this message, the title is, God Remembers. God Remembers. Now, we're going to deal with that entire text, but we don't want to read it in its entirety at first. So let's go ahead and begin by reading the first Let's see, six verses of scripture here in chapter 8, and then we'll open up in a word of prayer. So Genesis chapter 8, verses 1 through 6. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the 17th day of the month on the mountain of Ararat. And the waters decreased continually until the 10th month. In the 10th month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountain were seen. And so it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. Now, 
I'd like for us to begin by trying to put ourselves in the mindset, in the mind frame of Noah, who now has been in the ark floating upon the waters for about a year. And yes, I said a year. And I don't know if any of you realize that. But Noah has been locked in last time by God himself. The Bible tells us that God locked him in, that God closed the door. It began to rain upon the face of the earth. The waters in the heavens broke loose. It flooded the entire earth, right? It was a form of God judging the human race because of their disobedience and their sin. And so God intervened in the affairs of man, and he was about to do a brand new thing all together. But all of this time now had transpired over a period of a year. For example, if you go back to the previous chapter in chapter 7 and verse 11, we are told in the 600th year of Noah, right, that the heavens were open. So we're given the date, the actual date of when the rain began to take place for the 40 days and 40 nights. But now, according to chapter 8 and verse 13, which is a part of our text, and we'll get to that in just a moment, in the 601st year of Noah's life, we are told the waters dried up. So what do we have there? We have a difference of a period over one year. So Noah has been locked in this great craft, this ark, for over one year, and he's floating upon the waters. Now, this experience, think about this, again, trying to put ourselves in his mindset, his mind frame. This experience for Noah must have been a very strange, at the same time, scary, lonely experience. We have no indication that during this time, over this extended period of a year, that God had spoken to him. So think about that. Here he is for a year, drifting along in that large ship. I'm sure it must have crossed Noah's mind. Has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten me? No, he hasn't spoken to him in over a year. He probably thought to himself, and I don't think that this is a stretch of the imagination at all, below me lies a dead and buried world. Why should I obtain mercy? Why should others be taken and myself and my family left, realizing that he was a sinner? And if he felt like this, he would have even felt more abandoned. So I'm trying to paint an accurate picture of some of the feelings that Noah must have been feeling. Now, let me ask you, what's going on in your life? Let's bring this down to our own personal terms. What's going on in your life right now? These are the things that Noah had to deal with. These are the feelings and emotions that Noah had to wrestle with. But let me ask you now, what are the things, what are you going through in your own life's experience right now? Do you feel alone? God hasn't spoken to you in a while. And maybe you feel abandoned as well. And you're wondering to yourself, you know, what's going on here? Why isn't God speaking to me? Well, if that is the case, well, then this study is for you. Because notice, let's go back to verse 1. We are told, then God 
remembered Noah. You see, although Noah may have entertained the idea that God had forgotten him, God never forgot Noah at all. In fact, God never forgets anything, but especially not his children. In the 139th Psalm, and this would relate to you and to me, in verses 17 and 18, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. The idea here is that God is continually thinking about you. Isn't that amazing? Now, this may be alarming to some of you because of some of the things that you may be doing. But if you're doing the things that God expects you to do, well, then this is, should be a blessing to you. God can't get his eyes off of you. He's constantly thinking about you. You're on his heart. How great is the sum of them? How great? Well, verse 18. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand in the sea. And when I awake, I am still with you. So God is constantly thinking about you. Now, all of a sudden, something tangible begins to happen, and God has acted again. Has that been your experience? You know, over an extended period of time, there's quiet, that God hasn't spoken to you. But then all of a sudden, right, something tangible begins to happen, and God begins to move. God begins to act. And listen, if Noah, and this was the case for Noah here, according to our text of Scripture, if Noah was suffering from depression, guess what? Now all is well. Listen, this, if you think about it, is really all about hope and having hope, right? In whatever particular situation we may be facing or experiencing, we may have been In our own life's experience, time has passed, but things remain the same. The suffering goes on, but then all of a sudden, God moves, God acts, God speaks, right? Up until that time, we were wondering, where's God in all of this? You know, has he abandoned me? Has he forgotten me? But then all of a sudden, in the midst of things seeming as if they're never going to change, All of a sudden, God moves, God acts, and God speaks. So our job then is to just go on in faithful obedience to whatever he has already shown us, no matter how long ago it was, no matter how difficult our particular situation may be or confusing our situation may be. You know, it may be a job problem or issue, right? You know, things aren't working out the way that we hoped they would work out or our places of employment. And we've been put under some new authority, some new boss over us, and he's given us a really bad time, and, and we don't know how this whole thing is going to work itself out. And we're finding it extremely difficult to continue to work at that place of employment. So it may be a job issue. Maybe it's a ministry issue. For those of us who are in full-time ministry, you Pastor Jose and is in full-time ministry. Those of you, others of you who have ever been involved in full-time ministry know that there are times when it's extremely difficult in dealing with people and dealing with certain issues, and, and you're confused, and you may have even become discouraged. 
Things aren't working out the way that you hoped they would work out. You're putting yourself out there. You're trying to pour yourself into people, and it seems as if it's going on unappreciated by those people. And rather than them considering you a blessing, it seems like they're being antagonistic towards you. And I'm not suggesting that that's my experience because I'm blessed here as the pastor of this church. And I'm thankful things are going pretty smoothly here. But there have been times, I've been involved in ministry now for over 40 years. And there's been times when ministry has been extremely difficult. But I got to tell you, for the most part, it's been a, a huge blessing. But there are times when it's difficult. There are times when it's confusing, right? How about our marriage relationships? You know, we took that husband, we took that wife, and with the promise of our our lives being enriched and full, and and now after a while, things aren't working out the way that we hoped they would work out. And we're confused about the relationship, right? It's an extremely difficult relationship. I mean, we're committed to it. We're going to work through whatever issue we're going through, but nevertheless, it's difficult. It's hard, right? So our job is just to go on in faithful obedience to whatever he has already shown us, no matter how long ago that was. Without any indication that things are going to change, right? God hasn't spoken to us about our job. He hasn't spoken to us about our ministry. He hasn't spoken to us about our spouse or whatever other thing that we happen to be dealing with. But our part is just to be faithful to what God has called us to do and to continue in that calling. Now, according to our text, God remembered Noah in three specific ways. And that's going to be the focus of this message, right? So whatever you're going through, God is going to speak to you. He hasn't forgotten you. Just hang in there. Be faithful, right, to that place where God has positioned you. God is going to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. We need to just hang in there, right? God will speak. God will move. God will change your circumstances, okay? But we want to talk about the different ways that God remembered Noah. And there are three to be exact. And that's the focus of our message. Now, if you're taking notes, write this down. The first way that he remembered Noah was that he began to remove the water from off of the earth. Let's go back to our text. In verse 1, we are told, that God remembered Noah and every living thing and all the animals that were with him in the ark, and God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. Jump ahead to verses 3 and 4. And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of the 150 days, the water decreased. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventh day of the month on the mountains of Ararat. You know, by the way, I just have something here that I clipped out of a book of mine, and I just wanted to share it with you. It's a a bit of arc trivia, if I may. In 1935, a story appeared in Life Digest, an Australian publication, in which a Russian aviator claimed to have discovered Noah's Ark. He had been stationed in a temporary military outpost in southern Russia just across the border from Turkey near Mount Ararat, and had been told to test one of the Russian Air Force planes. In the course of these tests, 
he and his co-pilot flew over Ararat and discovered on the edge of a retreating glacier what he later described as a boat comparable in size to many modern battleships. He wrote that it was grounded on the shore of a lake with about one-fourth of the rear end still running out into the water, and its extreme rear was three-fourths underwater. It had been partly dismantled on one side near the front, and on the other side there was a great door nearly 20 feet square. But with the door gone, he reported, his find to his commanding officer, and an expedition was dispatched to Ararat, which according to the story subsequently found the ark and photographed it. Accounts were forwarded to the czar. Unfortunately, a short time after receiving this report, the government of the czar was overthrown and the photographs and reports perished. Now, this account is written up in so many different books that have as a subject the Ark of God. For example, in Violet Cummings' book, the title was Noah's Ark. She cites the same incident, Noah's Ark, fable or fact. In Tim LaHaye's and John Morris's book, the Ark on Ararat, this incident is also cited. And also many other books that have been written have appealed to this particular incident and this record that I had just shared with you. That validates the fact, notice here, go back to verse 4 here, and it says, Then the Ark rested in the seventh month, the seventh day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. And so, interestingly enough, so I just thought I'd pass that along to you. Now, God speaking to Noah, the waters subsiding, remembering, God remembering Noah here is like a new burst of power. Now, I want you to think about our own experience. Let's bring this down to our own personal terms, our own personal experiences. Things are, remain the same. There's no indication that anything's going to change. Things are still as dark as they've always been. And then all of a sudden, in whatever way God chooses to reveal himself or to speak to us, to reveal himself to us, it sort of happens and we sense it like as if it was a new burst of power in our life's experience. Here, in this case, the waters were separated from the dry land. The clouds begin to break up. The sun appears. And eventually the grass, the plants, the trees begin to renew themselves. And the animals and people are sent forth from the ark into the new world before them. But, you know, I mean, that was Noah's experience. But let's think about our own experience, right? All of us in our life's experience, there are times when we're just absolutely shut down. And then God moves, God acts, and everything is so new and so exciting, right? And then there's hope. God puts this hope within our hearts. And what we thought was lights out for us, it becomes an absolutely new episode in our life, a new chapter in our life's experience. So during the darkness of the flood, things must have felt quite dead. Has that been your experience? You know, whatever's going on in your life, things are just dead. They can't get any bleaker than they already are. 
but suddenly the life of God is there again, and now you can move forward, right? Everything has just changed in an instant, right? Isn't that amazing? You know, the Bible tells us that joy comes in the morning, right? In the evening, you're worried about your particular situation. You're wrestling with your pillow. You're turning in your beds. You can't get comfortable. You're thinking about the worst that could possibly happen in the morning. And then what happens? Things dramatically change. And rather than it being the worst, we are told joy comes in the morning. Praise the Lord for that. And so what do we learn from all of this? Well, simply, no matter how bleak, no matter how dark, we have to just simply trust God during those dark, bad times. I want to give you a couple of cross-references for this. In the book of Habakkuk, and let me set this up for you, this was written by the prophet when Babylon was overrunning the kingdoms of the Middle East. And in the book of Habakkuk, in chapter 3, and verses 17 and 18, and things couldn't get much worse than they had become. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation." This is not always an easy occupation for any of us, right? Hey, when everything is just falling into place, working out the way that we hoped it would work out, praise the Lord, hallelujah, there's a big smile on my face. But how many of us can worship the Lord and praise God when things have gone from bad to worse? But listen, God is also in the business of rest, but you got to hang in there. In feast or famine, let me give you another cross-reference, also from another one of the minor prophets in the book of Amos in chapter 9 in verses 13 and 14. And here Amos is looking ahead to the days of restoration. Things were bad in Israel at this particular time. God's people had already been carried off into the captivity. And so Amos is referring to and prophesying about the restoration of the nation of Israel, them coming back together as a people. And in Amos chapter 9 in verses 13 and 14, he says, Behold, the days are coming. Saith the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows seed, the mountain shall drip with sweet wine, and all the hills shall flow with it. I will bring back the captives of my people Israel. They shall build the waste cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and drink wine from them. They shall also make gardens and eat fruit from them. So what's our position here? Listen, no matter what's going on in your life, just continue to be faithful unto the Lord. Trust in Him. Have hope in Him. He hasn't brought you this far to bail out on us now. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long When something gets close to an ending, we naturally turn our attention to the beginning. When a child is about to graduate, we look at baby pictures. When a beloved spouse of many years grows close to death, we go over the story of how we met. When we pack up our stuff and move away from a house, we remember the first times we walked in the door. 
And as we draw close to the end of days, it seems only fitting to return to in the beginning. We can watch as light is created in land and sea and all the creatures, day and night in the sun and moon. And when we take a look at the glorious and amazing creation of the world, we can remember that it's the same God from the beginning who is ruling over the end. We can watch in awe, remembering that the end is also good news as we eagerly await His return. And here at In My Father's House, we're so glad you've decided to spend your day with us. In My Father's House is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. It's easy to get here with access from Port Authority and Penn Station on 34th. We'd love to see you. Pop over to our website, harvestnyc.org, to find times and so much more. And if you feel compelled to partner with this ministry financially, there's a link for that as well. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. While you're there, take a look around to find additional audio, a link to our Vimeo and podcast. That's all we have time for today. We've loved spending time with you, and we can't wait to meet up with you again. See you next time here in my father's house. <laughs>